Uh, last week, Pastor Jason shared vision message from Mark 1. Uh, today, we are starting off a new sermon series, or you could say we started a sermon series from the Gospel of Mark last week with the vision message. Uh, we'll be looking through the Gospel of Mark with an aim to really encounter Christ who we see in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, for those of us who have been churched over many years and you know Jesus personally, I uh, pray that this five-month uh, sermon series on the Gospel of Mark will be uh, preaching from the Gospel of Mark until uh, end of May. It will really help you and I to encounter Jesus afresh. And for those of you who are still exploring Christian faith, I know it's a couple of you at least here in this room and maybe even online, uh, you are trying to figure out who is this person Jesus? What is this thing called Christian faith or Christianity? I hope and pray that uh, this sermon series especially will help you to meet Christ, to encounter Christ, maybe for the first time. So can I just quickly pray before I preach? So Father, as we come together to hear from you with desire to encounter you, Jesus, the living Lord whom we just sang, Christ the King, we want to know you, we want to encounter you, so will you reveal yourself to us afresh through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today we come to a story of Jesus healing a paralytic. It's a story, so I'm going to tell the story, I'm going to put some comment or commentaries along the way, and uh, end with three points at the end. So, for those of you who know a little bit about the gospel, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but Mark starts with this saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he jumps right into coming of John the Baptist, coming of Jesus, being baptized, being tempted, and then Jesus begins his ministry, calls his disciples, about which Pastor Jason preached last Sunday. And then he does healing ministry. He heals many people, including his friend, Apostle Peter. He preaches. He heals leper. And at the end of chapter 1, we read how Jesus is so well known by people of the town that he has to hide. It's very unlike modern day churches where, where churches want to be big, big name, big, peop, big group. But Jesus hides and prays. And it says he went out and began to talk. Uh, 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 people began to go out and talk about Jesus so much that he could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places alone. He was doing silence and solitude often spending time with the father in prayer and people were just flocking coming to him from every quarter every corner now we come to chapter two so this is this is what's happening jesus is known by people of the town and after he works as an itinerant preacher, uh, and some people were calling him, a, he's a miracle worker, he heals lepers and lame people, um, he does exorcism, casts out demons. He returns to Capernaum, 
which is his home base in the district of Galilee. And it says in verse 1, it was reported that he was at home. Most likely, it's not his own home, maybe Peter's home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. I mean, his place or the place where he was teaching was jam-packed. And you can imagine, it's not a, a mega church context. Maybe it's, if it's a home, 50 plus people can squeeze in and people are flooding out. There's an um, overflow um, right outside the house. And what Jesus is doing is not healing or exorcism, doing exorcism. He is, it says, and he was preaching the word. Jesus said, I came to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near, is here. I came to bring God's kingdom here. Believe the good news and repent and turn. Come back to God. So he's preaching and, and people are hanging on every word that is coming out of his mouth. Now, it's crowded and people are hanging on every word that is coming out of his mouth. And then we come to the next scene where we see in verse 3 and following. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him, near Jesus, because of the crowd, they're thinking, okay, we've come a long way. We walked miles and we're sweating buckets. And my friend, a paralytic, a lame friend who hasn't been able to walk for a long time, he needs to be healed. But... We can't get through the crowd to Jesus. What do we do? Do we wait? Do we go home and come back later? And they're talking amongst themselves, and they say, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to wait. We're not going to wait till people leave. We're not going to go home and then come back. We're going to make a way to get to Jesus. So this is what they do. They, they go over the top to the roof, and they start unroofing the roof. It says they removed the roof above Jesus, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And you're thinking, Peter, if it's Peter's home, as a homeowner, oh my goodness, what just happened? What's happening here? He's th think thinking about all the cost that's gonna, that he has to incur because of what happened, all the work that needs to go in, and, and the inconvenience that these guys are causing after um, whatever will happen later. Just a, just a quick comment. You know, one of the things that I've come to realize is when we follow Jesus and we stay close to him, it is exciting, but there will come a lot of times when we will be inconvenienced. We will be disrupted. We'll do things that we wouldn't, we wouldn't want to do or didn't want to do, but we will get to do or we have to do. And Peter, you can imagine, will have to fix it and it will cost him. Anyways, now, Jesus 
interestingly, isn't bothered by the disruption that is caused by these four friends who brought paralytic to him. Look at verse 4. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, I will heal you. No, that's not what it says. He says, son, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, just imagine yourself to be one of the friends or even the paralytic people there. And, and you may be thinking, wait, 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 Jesus. We did not come here to, what did you just say? Your sins are forgiven? This guy needs to walk. We have a problem here. And the problem is that he is lame. He's a paralytic. He hasn't been able to walk. That's why we've come all the way to see you. Don't you know? And we're pretty desperate. We want healing. While they're thinking that those thoughts... The legal experts, the scribes, are the ones who know the Bible, know the Old Testament. Now, they're, 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 just, they're disturbed. These people who know the law of God, look at verse 6. Now, some of the scribes, again, the scribes are the legal experts. They know the Bible. They were sitting there. They were amongst the crowd. And now they're questioning in their hearts why is this fellow speak like this? Why? Well, you know what? He's blaspheming. This is, is, is ridiculous that he's actually saying your sins are forgiven because who can forgive sins but God alone? They know the Bible and they're correct. This is a legitimate question and disturbance in their hearts. Interestingly, in verse 8 it says, while those scribes are asking these legitimate questions about what Jesus just said, verse 8 it says, and immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, now Jesus Jesus is looking right through into their mind. And then he says to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? And they're like, whoa, how do you know? Or what do you know? And then he asks this question, which is easier to say to the paralytic your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, get up, pick up your mat, take up your bed, and walk. Uh, this This is a question that caused a lot of scholars, biblical scholars, to spill lots of ink. Jesus is a brilliant teacher. Like throughout the sermon series in the Gospel of Mark, we'll be looking at stories and events and exchanges between Jesus and people. 
And he asked so many questions. And this is one of the first questions in the Gospel of Mark. Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say to the paralytic, get up, pick up your mat, and walk? How would you answer that question? Which is easier? You're thinking? Yeah, that's good. You can blur out the answer, actually. Which is easier? Come on. I can hear you if you say aloud. Don't be shy. The second one. Pick up your mat or get up, pick up your mat and walk. That's easier. Yeah? Great answer. I'm not going to ask you why. Well, again, Jesus is brilliant because, again, a lot of scholars um, try to answer this question for uh, various reasons. On the one hand, on the one hand, it's easy, again, you got to look at the text. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. You can just say whatever you want. Who knows whether your sins are actually forgiven? You can say whatever you want. Is it, it's, in one sense, it's easier to say that your sins are forgiven. Because if you say, get up to a lame person, a paralytic, but if that person doesn't get up, I mean, he's bo- he's, he's, Jesus is bogus, right? I mean, it's a, it takes a miracle for a paralytic to get up, right? So, on the one hand, I know some of you are saying it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. On the one hand, it's much easier to just say your sins are forgiven. Am I making sense? Yeah. Because you can, anybody can say that. Who knows whether your sins are actually forgiven, right? Now, on the other hand, Jesus, you're right. Uh, You're saying the second one to say, get up and pick up your mat and walk, that's more, that's easier. Wait, now I'm, I'm, I'm being confused. It's easier to just say your sins are forgiven on one, on, on one hand. On the other hand, it's more difficult to say that your sins are forgiven. It's almost impossible. And so the scribes are right. Only God can forgive sins. So Jesus, on the other hand, is basically saying it is infinitely harder to effect forgiveness of sins than you could ever imagine. So again, Jesus is doing all these healing stuff. He's saying through this question, I'm not just a miracle worker. I'm more than that. And scribes are feeling uncomfortable. If Jesus was just a miracle worker, can heal people, then he's just that. But if Jesus can actually 
forgive your sins, which only God can do? Oh my goodness. That's disturbing. It's more disturbing than the roof being unroofed. And so the legal experts know. So later in chapter 3, by by chapter 3, beginning of chapter 3, you know what these scribes are thinking? This guy, Jesus, he's blasphemous. We need to kill him. Like, this saying, this event, and this question that Jesus is asking and the point that he's making out of this question and event ultimately will kill him. But look at this. So we're thinking, they're thinking, which is easier? And one is saying, that's easier. Others are saying, this is easier. And this is what Jesus says. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take up bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man, which is a phrase that is used in Daniel 7 to refer to Christ, the Messiah, the King, the coming King, who will come to earth to restore God's kingdom. That's the phrase, Son of Man, and that that was Jesus' favorite phrase to refer to himself in the Gospels. That you may know that the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, has authority, exousia, power, from within himself on earth to forgive sins. And he says to the paralytic, I'm going to do, on the one hand, something that is much more difficult to actually raise a paralytic so that you will know I can do something that is easier to simply say. He's making a point. He says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. So what would happen? What if paralytic didn't get up? What if paralytic did get up? What does that mean? If he gets up, then whatever Jesus was saying, which at the heart of it is the Son of Man has power, authority to forgive sins. We just sang about silence to sin and death. Conquer sin and death. Set you free from power of sin and death, which belongs only to God and God himself. Verse 12 says this, the paralytic gets up. He rose. Literally in the original language, he was raised. It's a passive tense. He was raised by God's power. He rose and immediately picks up his bed and went out before all the people in the crowd. And they are amazed. People are simply amazed. The disruption, the annoyance, the irritation, 
The question turns into an amazement. And they glorify God and they say, we have never ever seen anything like this. This is crazy. We have to, for those of us especially who grew up at church, we have to kind of relive the story and imagine ourselves to be one of the people in the crowd and ask these questions. What's going on here? Who, Who is this Jesus? We've never seen anything like this. This is amazing. This is off the chart stuff. Three questions from today's passage. And I have five minutes to answer those five questions or three questions. Maybe seven. I'll just go over two minutes. Who is Jesus? What is the gospel? How do we actually follow him? Who is Jesus? We see in the story that Jesus is a seer. Old Testament uh, talks about people who, who are able to see, seers. They're, in other words, prophets. They see God's heart. They see through veneers of the people, the facade. They see th- right through into the reality. Jesus sees their faith. The friends who brought their friend paralytic. When Jesus saw them unroofing the roof, Jesus is not thinking about how much it's going to cost to repair that roof. Jesus is looking at their heart and he sees faith in the paralytic and the friends. Faith that Jesus can do something. Jesus can heal me. Of course, Jesus does more than that. He sees a scribe's questions in their hearts. Jesus sees and knows He's a prophet. He's he's a seer. Even now, he sees right through into your mind. Whether you're listening to my message or daydreaming, thinking about what what you're going to eat after this service. Whatever you're going through in your life, the struggles that you have, and you're thinking, only if this issue is resolved, my life will be so much better that struggle that you're not able to tell anybody because you're kind of feeling, it's kind of shameful to even say that. Jesus knows everything. Everything about you. He's a prophet. But he's more than a prophet. He's more than a seer. He's a healer. He not only sees, he heals. And his healing is more than fixing our problems so that we can just move on with our lives. He's not satisfied to just fix problem here and there and granting our wishes here and there. Jesus, I'm sick. Can you heal me? Health problems. Jesus, my marriage is going through a wreck or I'm done with my marriage. My, my kids, my work, my school, my career, and the list could go on and on. The problem, we, we have problems and many, many problems. And from this story, what we see is that Jesus is healer, but he's more than a healer. And he wants to heal us if he were to heal, or do a deep healing. I want you to do more than what you are asking for, what you are bargaining for. Because I know what you really need. You think, you bring this problem to me, 
man, as long as this problem is resolved, you'll be fine. I'm not satisfied with that. Yes, I'm going to deal with that problem too, but let me go deeper with your life. I received a biblical counseling um, you know, almost like five, six years ago. And after about fourth or fifth sessions, my counselor asked me this question. It was a very penetrating question. I realized smart people ask good questions. He was basically saying this, you know, Charles, God and his sovereignty and his goodness can solve this problem that you have like this. If he wants to, with a flick of his finger, just like that, he can fix it. But if God does not fix that problem for which you came to see me, are you still able to glorify God? Even if he doesn't fix that problem. Oh my, that was a curveball. Like, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't know that, 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 that that's what I was expecting to answer. I came here to deal with my issues. I couldn't answer the question immediately. Because I was so fixated on the problem. That if that problem's gone, my life will be so much better. My family, my work, work as a pastor. Oh, I'll, I'll fly. But as I was mulling over the question, I came to realize the problem became the center of my life. The problem was not the problem itself, but how that problem took over my life to be at the very center of my life. And when I came to realize that, oh my goodness, the problem and fixing that problem, solving that problem became my idol. After a long pause, after I came to recognize it, I said, yes. I choose to glorify God with the problem that I have, even if God doesn't fix or remove or take away that problem. And something happened that day where I was set free. The problem still I have. Yeah. Even to this day. But God wanted to do a deeper work in my heart through that problem. He wanted to save me, not just from my problem, but my consumption with the problem. Yes, God's been restoring me in many areas of my life, but what was more important was that Jesus, not the problem, dictates and exercises lordship over my life. Jesus does far more than what we ask or imagine. He's more than a healer. He's a savior. He's Lord. And he's about restoring our full life 
to God. And the gospel is this. What is the gospel? By definition, gospel is good news, not good advice. It's a news, it's an announcement that something happened. And Jesus is saying, kingdom of God is near. It's here in my presence. Jesus announces your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say, you know what? Five steps for your sins to be forgiven. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. He just announces your sins are forgiven. He proclaims the new reality that God brings. And that new, reali- new reality is good news. It's Gospel is not what we do ultimately. It is what God has done for us. And Jesus is basically saying, God is doing something new in your life. And God will do something new in your life. Will you trust me? Will you put your faith in me? That's why the most appropriate response to the gospel, good news, not good advice, where we have to try harder, the most appropriate response to good news is to trust and to celebrate. If it's a good news, it's an announcement that brings about joy. And here in today's passage, Jesus is saying, I will forgive all your sins. I have power and authority to forgive because eventually I will be paying for your sins. Forgiveness is costly. For us to forgive a wrong, it will cost us. We choose not to retaliate or revenge. It will incur pain, hurt, suffering. It costs Jesus his death on the cross. Forgiveness is also a gift. Jesus purchased the gift of forgiveness when he died on the cross for us. And Jesus in today's passage is saying this, not only do I have the authority and power to forgive, I'm willing to forgive you. It is interesting how paralytic didn't come asking for forgiveness, but Jesus proclaims forgiveness. Even before we ask for forgiveness, Jesus forgives. And the question is, have you experienced that forgiveness? Have you received the gift of forgiveness of Jesus Christ? So how do we follow him? How do we respond? It's the word that I learned, faithing. Missional spirituality, we want to be a church that moves with a gospel-centered missional spirituality, is a faithing spirituality, faith in action. Faith is not static. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just knowing about Jesus. It's dynamic. It's faith in action. It's a spirituality. It's a faith that responds to God's word, takes God's word as it is, and say yes and amen. So when Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat, and go home, instead of saying, no, I can't. I can't do that. We say, yes, I'll stand. I'll get up. 
and you get up. Many of us come to church, maybe some of you, on a stretcher, and then you go back home on a stretcher. Today, I believe one thing that Jesus is inviting us to do is listen to his word of invitation to get up, pick up your mat, and live life. Live life as you're meant to live. Get up, pick up that thing that you've been attached for so long, for so long, too long, and put that away and start walking. Let's pray. As we pray and as we prepare for communion, I invite all of you to come to Jesus, the healer, the prophet, but more than a prophet, more than a healer. He's Lord and Savior. He has power and authority to forgive, to reset our lives to empower us to begin anew and the good news is that what we could never do for ourselves to be forgiven of our sins Jesus did by dying for us so that not only our sins are forgiven but so that we may truly live So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to respond in faith and obedience. And whatever that thing that you've been relying on for so long, being attached for too long, Jesus says, stand up, pick up that thing, and start walking, start living, start following me. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, amazing love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of God's people who have encountered Jesus and have the assurance that Jesus is a Son of Man who has authority to forgive all of our sins now and forevermore. Amen.